Welcome to Fantasy Football Today Dynasty. I am your host, Heath Cummings, joined today by Chris Towers. Chris, it's been a couple weeks. It's good to have you back. Thanks for having me, buddy. It's always good to talk to you. It's always good to be here with the FFT Dynasty crew. We've got a fun show coming up today. We are going to re-rank the 2023 rookie wide receivers. I sent Chris my top 12, including where they rank in Dynasty. Then the next six who are not in my top 12, Chris is going to tell me why I'm wrong. He'll probably change my rankings on a couple of these players. Then we are going to talk about some deep waiver wire additions. There are more than a handful this week. And then finally, we're going to finish up the last hopefully 15, 20, maybe even 25 minutes of the show answering your dynasty questions in the chat. So please have those questions ready. Don't send them all in now because I'm not going to answer them now and I'm not going to scroll up and find them later. I'll tell you when, but the last 30 or 40 minutes or 20 or 30 minutes, we will definitely be answering your questions. First, Chris, we've got three questions. You've been on this show many times, so it's not three questions about Chris. It's three questions that I, I can't really figure out what I think the answer is. And okay. the, the, the first one has to do with one of my favorite quarterbacks in the ever. NFL ever, Gardner Minshew. Um, had a terrible game two weeks ago, then just was like a top five fantasy player this week against the Cleveland Browns, which makes all kinds of sense. Anthony Richardson has had the surgery. He's not coming back. Minshew's a starter the rest of the year for the Colts. How are, what are our expectations for Minshew rest of season? If you're a win-now team in a super flex league, is he a buy? Is he someone you think can help you in that format? Um. <clears throat> so, like, last week's game was good for fantasy. Uh-huh. He didn't play particularly well, and it wasn't good for fantasy in a way that I think is particularly sustainable right like he ran for two touchdowns that's not like he can scramble he can move in the pocket but Gardner Mm -hmm. Minshew is not someone that you can rely on for rushing production so I I don't think I necessarily look at the game against Cleveland and think that it was this massive positive for his value moving forward I I think what he is is he's a chaos agent like him and Sam Howell are the Spider-Man me it, it would be nice do, if he'd stop fumbling. Well, they're, they're just... There's a long and rich tradition in the NFL of this type of quarterback, and they tend to become uh, sort of folk heroes in the imagination and minds of some fantasy players. The, the larger NFL community, Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, comes to mind where they're not good, but, but they're fun, and that, they can that be name, good for though, fantasy. That name in particular, Ryan Fitzpatrick, like there were, were a couple of seasons mm-hmm. where he took over as the starter, and yes. as a second quarterback in a super flex league, he was he was absolutely a buy to help a team win now. Yes. I, I think that the problem with that specific comp is <laughs> Gardner Minshew doesn't he's fun and he wears the headband and he's got the mustache and he's got this like persona. And so I think he gets this, um, he he gets the benefit of the doubt that he's like a gunslinger, right? That he's like just tossing it down the field and letting his respect. That's not really who he is. He's not, he's actually not like Sam Howell in that way where, where Sam Howell will take his shots down the field and he's kind of reckless. 
No, Minshew, I, I would Minshew say doesn't have that 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 same thing in his game. That's you, one of the the critiques of his time in Jacksonville. I remember you would get very mad at Pete Prisco for not liking Gardner Minshew when he was in. But what one thing that Pete Prisco would mention a lot when Minshew was in Jacksonville was the coaching staff thought he should take more chances down mm-hmm. the field, that there were plays to be made that he wasn't making. And, and that's one thing that I do think limits his his appeal for fantasy a little bit. That being said, I like the Colts' offense. I, I like what Shane Steichen's doing. I, I think the fact that they run a lot of plays, they play at a fast pace, I think that's very good. It was surprising that they only threw 23 times uh, last week. There were a bunch of sacks and scrambles in there, so I think that, you know probably was closer to 30 called pass, pass plays, I would guess. Um but yeah, I, I think he's firmly in the mid-range QB2 range the rest of the way. You know, he's got a solid receiving group. He's got a, a very good coaching staff and an offense that I, I generally like. So I think if you are trying to win and you're weak in a super flex league, he is someone to target. I, I do think like that the Sam Howell comp is it's bad in a lot of ways. Like they're, they are the chaos agents and they do have these wild swings, but you're right. Sam Howell holds onto the ball forever trying mm-hmm. to find the super play. Minshew's going to take probably a fourth of as many sacks as Sam Howell is, but he also can't hold on to the football right now, which is, yeah. which is very frustrating. Like his fantasy production over the la- over this season, if you removed the fumbles would be hugely different because he's fumbling two or three times per game. Yes, that's that's part of it. Um, Minshew has a pretty high sack rate. It's not Sam Howell, who is losing like fifty yard or forty yards per game from sacks. It's it's just the the Sam Howell stat sack numbers are are bonkers. Right. His sack rate is double Gardner Minshew. I've lost a lot career. of a lot of hope for him, and I think some people over the last two weeks may have lost a little hope for Brock Purdy. He's Come back to earth a little. He's still wildly efficient because every quarterback who plays for Kyle Shanahan is, but he's no longer no longer has the unblemished win loss record. No longer seems to be a guarantee for two passing touchdowns every week like he was last year and early in this season. And so, how do you view him moving forward? Should we be should fantasy managers who've kind of like been right about Purdy so far and been happy to have him as a starter? like wait for the next good game and sell or is this just a little blip and he's still going to be a borderline top 12 quarterback for the next half a decade I would be surprised if he was a top 12 quarterback for the rest of the decade just largely because of the the way that offense runs I, I think he's fine he's got room to grow I think last night we saw the the, the benefits of a an expected interceptions or expected turnovers metric versus an actual turnovers metric because the turnovers finally happened. But I think the bigger thing is just he's averaging, what, 26 pass attempts per game right now, 28 pass attempts per game. Yeah. Uh, he's under 200 attempts in seven games. He doesn't run. It's a very good offense, but I, I, I think he's a mid-range QB, too. Which okay, forward. so That's we've got we've got three guys we've put in the same category here. You're a, you're a dynasty manager. Who would you yep. rather have on your roster, Brock Purdy, Sam Howell, or Gardner Minshew? It's Purdy for sure. Unless I think you could make a case for Howell if I'm contending right now, just because I do think he's probably going to be better moving forward this season. He's got mm-hmm. a little more 
value with his legs that he brings to the table. But I also think like if Sam Howell got benched this week, I would not be shocked. They're playing Philadelphia. He takes 11 sacks per game. Philadelphia has got the most fearsome defensive front in football. It's not a Sam Howell is going to be benched forever take, but it's a, oh, we might need to take him out of the game so he doesn't get killed situation. So I think Sam Howell is probably the, the, the highest variance option of this group. And if he was the only one of the three who was a top 12 quarterback the rest of the way, I wouldn't be surprised at all. But from a longer term perspective, Purdy clearly, I, I think he's the only one who is better than a 50-50 chance to be a starter next year. I think right. Purdy, if he's healthy, is 99% chance to be the starter I, next I year. I wouldn't ever say that with, in a, on a Kyle Shanahan team. 92? Like, we went through a month and a half where Brandon Ayuk wasn't a starter for Kyle Shanahan because he was unhappy with him. Like, we've seen sure. the musical chairs. But Brock Purdy could be a disaster in the second half of the season. The 49ers could fail to win their division. And I wouldn't be all that surprised if the 49ers went a different direction. That's um, that's fair, yeah. But I do think his odds of starting next year much higher, than, probably higher than Howell and Minshew's combined yes. at this point. Last question. Never Injuries are never a good thing, um, unless you're the backup, I guess. But Dawson <laughs> Knox, wrist, wrist surgery out for the foreseeable future. Dalton Kincaid, not a backup. But he and Dawson Knox, both playing a lot of 11 and a half or 12 personnel with two tight ends on the field. Knox getting all of the green zone and end zone targets. I believe just one all season long for Kincaid. We finally saw Kincaid kind of break out of his shell in his most recent game, had eight catches in week seven. This was the guy. It wasn't long. I don't want to remind people. It wasn't that long ago. This was the guy who was supposed to be the rookie tight end who really mattered. He was supposed to be better than Sam Laporta. He was supposed to be better than Luke Musgrave. He was supposed to be better than Michael Mayer. Now Dawson Knox is out of the way for the next month. Is this just like the coronation of Dalton Kincaid? This is where he becomes a top 12 tight end and he's never not a top 12 tight end again. No, no, I don't think so. That's, that's not things generally don't work out as cleanly as we hope they do. And, and I think Michael Meyer is a, that Michael Meyer, mayor, Mayor, I, I yeah. am. Yeah, it's, that, it's almost that, Halloween. It's okay. That's one I'm going to get right at some point. That and Darrell Henderson, who I mispronounce every time. Darrell? I, I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's Daryl. Okay. I've So I've been <laughs> saying it right. It's just that on Sunday, every time I was said it, Adam <laughs> would give me a look. And so I was just this. Okay. All right. Sorry. Anyway, but Michael Mayer is a good example of the ways in which it's not always linear right he he has this breakout game in week six five catches for 75 yards 81 percent snap share week seven he falls down to four targets two catches for 13 yards it's there's always going to be variance in the production but yes i am ranking dalton kincaid as a top 12 quarter or tight end for week eight and with dawson knox out you would assume that clears the runway a little bit for him the problem is it's been all short stuff for Dalton Kincaid. They're yep. not using him down the field at all, and, and it's hard to unlock upside, even when you're a very talented player. Now, the nice thing is, at tight end, you don't really need upside to be a top 12 option, so I do think Dawson Knox will probably just be a starting tight end moving forward the rest of the season. And look, this Bill's offense, it, it goes unremarked upon as often as it probably should be, the way in which they just 
kind of stopped trying to put weapons around Josh Allen once they got Stephon Diggs. That started to change with the drafting of Dalton Kincaid, but they very desperately need a second option in that offense who can do something besides run a go route or a hitch. Like that's all the guys on their offense can do. So the runway's clear. It's just it's time for him to take advantage. I think they've tried. They've just done a bad job. Um, they, they, they've made efforts. They, but they, they haven't really like invested in it. Like Gabe Davis was a fifth round pick, right? Uh, Kincaid was like the first real investment that they've made. James in a, James Cook was supposed to open up the passing game. They wanted to go to a more pass catching. But again, back that's play. that's what a day he was. Khalil a day, Shakir was. They th- yeah, these, but these are all day two or three picks. Dalton Kincaid is the first. Guys, since Stefan Diggs, that they've made a, a significant investment. You need Stefan Diggs and a first round wide receiver? Good grief. Like, but I was doing this yesterday on Twitter where like everyone does the like, wow, look at what Patrick Mahomes is doing with this wide receiver group. And it's like Travis Kelsey's there. Like, you can't just like right. post the picture of the wide receivers and then say, wow, Patrick Mahomes has no help. He's got the best pass catching tight end of all time. And it's similar with the Bills, where it's like, if you take out Stephon Diggs, that team has very little. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Um, Like, I think Gabe Davis is quite a bit better than any one of the Chiefs wide receivers. I, my, my hot take is Gabe Davis is MVS with muscles. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, MVS would love to have a Gabe Davis season, I would think. I mean, what's a Gabe Davis season? Like 800 yards and six touchdowns? Like, yeah, that's yep. better than anything MBS has done, but it's like <laughs> 200 yards better. It's not, it's, it's not like a chasm. It's a, oh, it's a, it's a gap. Man, I, didn't, I did not think we would get Gabe Davis shade on this show today. He's MBS. fine. I'm defending Gabe Davis. No, you're times. calling him MBS. Okay, He's we're not going to talk about Gabe muscles. Davis because we're going to talk about the rookie wide receivers. We had I ran a bunch of Twitter polls on Monday about Puka Nakua against this guy, Puka Nakua against this guy, mm-hmm. and and basically it came about that Puka was pretty firmly a top ten dynasty wide receiver. Which going into last week, I had him ninth. I did feel like he, like that type of performance next to Cooper Cup, when Cooper Cup doesn't perform well and Stafford doesn't necessarily have that great of a game, did move the needle a little bit more for me again because. I think we're talking about two things with Puka. What is his upside mm-hmm. and what is his floor? And like the upside over the first seven games of his career is as good as anybody. The floor is still a pretty big concern, but the more of these types of performances he stacks on top of each other, the harder it becomes to believe that Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay are going to go away and Puka Nakua is going to turn into Robert Woods. Um, and Robert Woods is pretty good for like five years. So I do have Puka Nakua as my number one wide receiver in this class and number six amongst wide receivers in Dynasty. Is that too high, too low, just right? Did you do a poll comparing Puka Nakua to Jordan Addison before and after yesterday's I did. Game? I did not I compare him to Addison at all. Fun one. I thought he would just crush Addison. There was no – I think he still would. It, I think he still would, but it would be a lot closer after last night um, because – for as much as dynasty players are supposed to take a long view, everyone is prone to uh, for for recency bias, and, and I think Jordan Addison having that big of a game against the 49ers last night would change a, the way a lot of people view him. I I think it's right to have Puka Nakua at number one here. I, I get the 
that he doesn't have the pedigree and doesn't necessarily have the physical skills of some of the other guys. But, you know, Jacob Gibbs has talked about this a lot on both FFT and in this show, how Pukinuku is probably just underrated as a prospect. His mm-hmm. production profile looks better than you think it does once you account for the offense that he played in. He did a very good job of making plays after the catch, which is what we've seen so far in this offense. And yeah, it's the second most yards in NFL history through the first seven games of a career, two yards behind who I assume is the number two wide receiver in Dynasty. Currently number one. Okay, currently number one. Those guys are close enough that whenever one, like when when Chase had the hiccup with Burroughs calf, Jefferson was number one. Jefferson's going to miss four weeks. Chase is number one. Yeah, it's like that's the the air that Puka Nakua is operating in. And we've seen him put up big games twice in three games with Cooper cup, I believe. So yeah, I, I, I don't really see a case against him. You're you know, not, I, I, not selling high then. No, no, okay. because I, I think there's always going to be enough questions in the minds of other people, or at least if they're motivated to downgrade his price in order to acquire him. Well, he's only a fifth round pick. Matthew Stafford could retire. Matthew Stafford's not, right. he's old, but he's not that old. You know, like we were, you, you I, I was talking on Twitter yesterday about the Garrett Wilson Puka Nakua thing. And, and I think that one's a really interesting one because Puka's already had, I think he's averaging 20.8 PPR points per game so far this season. Garrett Wilson has three games total in his career with more than that. Right. Puka Nakua is clearly in a better situation. I've got Puka. Puka was or Garrett Wilson was one of the two wide receivers that I moved Puka ahead of after this week. I had him what just behind him. I moved him just ahead of him. Uh, let's let's get to two mm-hmm. more guys who are right behind Garrett Wilson. Number two and number three. They are back to back in the dynasty wide receiver rankings. Jordan Addison at thirteenth. Jackson Smith and Jigba at fourteenth. I had JSN as my favorite wide receiver in this class before the draft. And then when landing spot was factored in, I move Addison just ahead of him. They've kind of just stayed in a similar spot, which is weird because Addison's got six touchdowns in his first seven games and JSN just had his first game, good game. But we expected the slow start. Like nothing really is all that surprising to me about what these two have done. Last night, obviously a fantastic performance from Addison. But again, I, I thought he was capable of doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's kind of the things like the, the, the taking the ball away from the defender was pretty special, but he also lost one to the defender. So uh, right around wide receiver 12 for these guys. I don't think I've gotten to Jacob Gibbs, number one wide receiver in this class. We'll talk about him next. But uh, Addison and JSM, would they be second and third for you? I think so, mostly because, I mean, Addison, it, it's interesting because we don't know how good that situation is going to remain. And yeah. so I, I, I did think coming in, Jack, Jackson Smith and Jigbo was the better talent. And I do feel like 2024, 2025, I feel a little more confident that Geno Smith is going to be there, whereas the Vikings could be in a, not a total rebuild, but in a in a situation where their quarterback is a big question mark next season. So I... I think I would give JSN the edge, but we're also, you know, the thing to keep in mind with him is we do have to go back a couple of years to get the elite production from him. Now, that's not his fault. He only played, what, three or four games uh, his, his final yeah, he, year in college? He barely, barely, played, barely played his final year in college. Yeah. But obviously his sophomore year was 
I mean, historically productive for yes. a guy who played it's, it's, with two other first, yeah, and for a guy who played with two other first round caliber wide receivers who right. are you know viewed as potential top twelve dynasty wide receivers themselves. So I, I do think I would give him the edge over Addison, but there are enough questions about what JSN is going to do the rest of the season that I don't have with Addison that. I could see giving him the edge because he, the path is a little more clear to, you know, top fifteen production this season. Yeah, I I would not be surprised if Justin Justin Jefferson's back in three weeks, and Addison goes back to being a, a, a low end number three wide receiver, mm-hmm. and this season there's less of it remaining, so it doesn't factor into the rankings as much, and so JSN jumps ahead of Addison. I think these two are going to go back and forth in terms of two and three. At number four, and this is kind of a a tear break after this guy, it's Zay Flowers. I believe both Matt Harmon, who was on last week, and Jacob Gibbs had Flowers as their number one wide receiver in the class. He's been good. Lamar looks fantastic. I love the offense. The fact that Flowers is earning targets the rate he is playing alongside Mark Andrews is a very good thing. I still don't totally believe that he has as much upside as Puka Addison or JSN. Why is that? I I guess because I still don't totally believe that the Ravens are ever going to be an offense that throws the ball more than like 520 times. That's fair. And his production profile in college wasn't as impressive as, as those two guys. He had the 1000 yard season as a senior. So I, I, I get it. I, I think the the thing that I like from him in the short term is we've seen the growth of his role in it as a downfield receiver. You know, early on, it was almost entirely short design stuff, screens, you know, very quick passes this week. And, and really over the past couple of weeks, he's starting to get more of those downfield targets. And and that's where the upside is going to come in, especially with a player like Lamar Jackson, because it's really hard to rely on a volume play in a, in an offense like this, you know, you basically have to rely on them scheming up four or five targets every game because they might only throw 23 times in any given week. If he's going to be making plays down the field, like we've started to see that really changes the profile. It's, it's exactly the kind of growth trajectory you want to see. Right from a guy who who's developing as a young player. So I think this is the right ranking for him. I agree. I think Addison and Smith and Jigba have more upside, both in their situations. And I think they're probably just the more talented players. Um, but he he's, I would argue there's probably, there probably should be a bigger gap between him and number six. So that's the top four. So we're talking about number five. And number I think five, you're, sorry, you're sorry. probably right. Like, I don't know who number five is. The top four, Puka Nakua at number one, Jordan Addison at number two, JSN at number three, Zay Flowers at number four. And then this is the point to where like, I'm going to give you four guys, and mm-hmm. I think you could you could put the guy that I have at fifth last, and I'd have a hard time arguing with you. Quinton Johnston, I still have as wide receiver five in this class. It's been a disastrous start. I don't really like what Kellen Moore is trying to do with him. I don't know what would make you think that you should have him run down the sideline and throw the jump ball to him. Um, he's not Mike Williams, and he can't fill that role, especially not right now. But Johnson's still number five for me. I have Tank Dell at number six, Josh Downs at number seven, and Rasheed Rice at number eight. And I want to kind of explain that because I expect that people see the Chiefs memorabilia behind me and are used to me being a homer about Mahomes and Kelsey. And so why is he so much lower on Rasheed Rice? Because I think Jacob would probably put him fourth or first out of this group. I didn't really like him very much coming into the NFL. 
I didn't like his prospect profile so far. That doesn't look very smart. But also, like his per route stuff doesn't impress me as much because, as we talked about last week on the show, the Chiefs are kind of hacking per route data right now. They have certain players they only play when they're going to throw them the ball. And Rasheed Rice is kind of just running the same route five or six times a game, and he's good at that. But I don't know that he's ever going to be – like I haven't seen yet that he's going to be a complete wide receiver. So, again, from five through eight, we've got Quinton Johnston, Tank Dell, Josh Downs, and Rasheed Rice. These guys rank 27 to 39 in the wide receiver rankings overall. How wrong am I on this order? No, I, I think your questions about Rasheed Rice are fair. Like he's being – inflated on a per route basis by the offense he plays in and the quarterback he plays with, which, hey, those should remain the case moving forward. However, you know, the one thing that we're seeing with him is he's getting nothing but short targets, basically 5.6 yard a dot so far this season. And that comes with four drops on 34 targets, which is a pretty bad rate, especially when you're seeing relatively easy short yardage catches. And he's got one broken tackle. He's been good after the catch, 7.5 yards per reception after the catch, but only one broken tackle. So it's not necessarily like we're seeing, you know, an elite playmaker here. So I I do think it's also just like, are the Chiefs ever going to feel like they need to give him more than 18% of their targets? Probably 18% would be a significant upgrade. One day, Travis Kelsey. I think Rasheed Rice will probably be on the team longer than Travis Kelsey. <laughs> Maybe not. I mean, <laughs> you would think so. Travis Kelsey is 34 years old. He's also showing almost no signs of slowing down at any point. So, yeah, I think it's right to be skeptical of, of Rushy Rice. I think it's also perfectly reasonable to put him ahead of Quentin Johnston, who, <laughs> like, this, this range you have a first rounder who's done nothing so far this season and had real questions about him as a prospect right. coming in. Like he was supposed to be this big yak guy, this big downfield guy, except he was an inconsistent catcher of the football in college. He ran a four, five, seven 40, I think at the combine. So he's not like a blazing fast guy. And even with Mike Williams out, what we're seeing is Josh Palmer, who I didn't think had any upside at all, is starting to make plays down the field and has actually been really impressive and has turned into that downfield guy for the Chargers in a way that really makes you question, like, well, if Quentin Johnston can't beat that guy who looked like the definition of a Jag his first couple of years in the NFL, you never want to write a player off after seven weeks, but there were a lot of questions that he has not answered yet. And then you've got two third-round picks in in Tank Dell and Josh Downs who – have shown real flashes. I really like what Josh Downs has done. 21% target share with Gardner Minshew. It's just one of those where it's like, but is the upside Tyler Boyd? I think, I think his, um, there was a route that he ran in Minshew's first start on the touchdown Mm -hmm. that he scored that. Like, I don't know that Tyler Boyd can do, can do that. Maybe. Like he's got some, um, like, uh, like in a phone booth type moves that that are impress me. What, what what order would you put these guys in? You, I think, I think I'd go with the same order. I think I would still go with Quentin Johnston. I would give him the benefit of the doubt and give the the pedigree and draft capital bump over the production over seven games because. 
he wouldn't be the first rookie wide receiver to struggle for a half season and then figure things out. Mike Williams was one of those guys. Uh, if you actually look at the stats he's put up through the first seven games and compare them to other rookie wide receivers, it, there aren't a lot of good comps. Right. I, I saw one recently where it was like Devontae Parker was the best case scenario, and I, I think they're very different types of players, but it, there's not a lot to love there. Okay, we got a question from the chat. Quinton Johnston or Jamison Williams? I still pretty strongly prefer Jamison Williams or Quinton Johnston. Jamison Williams has had more games of absolutely nothing uh, than Johnston has. I guess he caught two touchdown passes. That's that's yeah. Not I, I I might go with Jamison Williams just because I think he was the better prospect, and I don't I don't want to say last year was nothing on yeah. his track record but he was coming back from a torn acl suffered in january so it was a relatively quick return even with the delayed start to last season okay i know everybody wants us to get to their questions so let's go through these uh, last four a little bit quicker jonathan mingo marvin mims michael wilson Jaden reed that's nine through twelve mingo mims wilson and reed and I had Mingo quite a bit ahead of, of this group, I think, at the start. Maybe not Mims. It's just so frustrating that he can't get onto the field. Uh, do you care about anyone in this range? Do you think any of these four guys ever actually matter? In a, like, I know they are assets now, and you might be able to trade them for a second-round pick in a 24, 24 draft, but are, are any of these guys ever like consistent starters? I think it's extremely unlikely. Mingo yeah. was the, the highest drafted of this group, but... The question I had coming into the to the season was, how is a guy who couldn't beat out wide receivers who did not make the NFL yep. at Ole Miss, how is he supposed to step in the NFL and all of a sudden, like, I know coming into the season, like, well, he doesn't have any competition. And it turns out, like, Adam Thielen and DJ Shark are NFL wide receivers. He had never played with NFL wide receivers before. Well, and Adam Thielen's actually really good. Well, yes, and I, I think... Adam Thielen is benefiting from the struggles that Bryce Young is having, getting the ball down the field and being protected and all that. But like in theory, Jonathan Mingo could benefit from those things as well. And he's not right. So I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty down on this group. Mims would be the one I have ranked ahead, but I, I could make a case for Jalen Hyatt ahead of any of them. Jalen Hyatt leads the group outside of my top 12. So we'll recap the top 12 first. Puka, Jordan Addison, JSN, Zay Flowers, Quentin Johnston, Tank Dell, Josh Downs, Rasheed Rice, Jonathan Mingo, and then Mims, Michael Wilson, and Jaden Reed. The top five that didn't make my top 12, all these guys in the 62 to 76 range when it comes to the wide receiver. Like, not bad deep bench stashes, but that's probably just about it. Jalen Hyatt, Cedric Tillman. I've still got Kayshawn Booty in there, but I, I probably need to give up on him. Tyler Scott and Pop Douglas, Demario Douglas. Um, Showed a little something this last week with the Patriots, and Kendrick Bourne fumbled. So we'll see if maybe Douglas turns into the uh, number one target in that Patriots' terrible offense going in next week. Let's take a quick break. We'll get to the waiver wire, then we'll get to your questions. Okay, Chris, so I've got five guys under 10% rostered that I would like to consider adding in a Dynasty mm-hmm. League. Another three or four that are that are probably not quite as available, but still somebody you should talk about. The, the first question, because I know this happened even in some dynasty leagues, Amari DiMarcato added, barely touched the ball, dropped. Now he's the feature running back for the Arizona Cardinals. Are you going right back to the DiMarcato well, or no, fool me once, shame on you. He 
should be rostered in all fantasy leagues, including Dynasty. After that, it's it's a little tougher with every team playing in week seven or week eight because you're going to have fewer expendable guys. But yeah, because the thing that was nice about the very, very bad week seven where he fooled everyone into, you know, who added him and started him, he still dominated the passing snaps in that game. They just didn't throw it to him, which was frustrating. But he was still, I think, the snap leader for the Cardinals in that game at running back. And then I don't know the route leader. Yeah, I don't know what changed in week eight. I haven't seen any discussions about why Keontae Ingram went from the leading rusher to not. I don't, did he play a snap? Uh, I do not. I know he didn't get a touch. Yeah, he didn't get a touch. I'm not sure he played a snap. Damian Williams is still on the practice squad, was playing ahead of him. So, yeah, I, I'm looking at Imari DiMarcato and, and thinking. Mid got. We got at least two more weeks without James Conner. Could right. be longer. I, I think he's going to be in that RB3 conversation. And he, he listen, it, it's possible that Conner isn't ready and, and DiMarcado mm-hmm. just kind of carves out a role for himself. And then maybe you can trade him this offseason because people think he's actually going to be a starter before he's Yeah, not that's a starter. the thing from a dynasty perspective is this is a profile that even if he's awesome the rest of the way, yep. you should probably be actively selling him. It's the offseason. Damian Pierce, even even Damian Pierce. Yes. Although the one guy it hasn't happened to yet is Isaiah Pacheco. Um you've yep. still got time to sell because it's probably coming. Let's uh let's get to the other guys. Trey McBride. I nobody's adding him. Um hopefully he's already rostered in those dynasty leagues because you already had him at seven percent We've been banging this drum for a couple weeks, and he's been 6 or 7% every single week. He played as many snaps as Zach Ertz last week. He's doubling Ertz on a per-route basis. The trade deadline is approaching. Kyler Murray is on his way back. This was a very good tight end prospect who's been stuck behind Ertz for a year and a half, but he's an absolute must-roster in Dynasty, and I would expect if Ertz is gone or goes down, he will be a borderline top 12 tight end. Yeah, I agree with all that. Okay, we got nothing more to say about Trey McBride. Go make sure he's rostered. We've got three running backs, Pierre Strong, Chase Edmonds, who has had his window opened, and there is not a running back on the Tampa Bay uh, Buccaneers that can seemingly go forward. And cre- get through an open window. Oh, that, was, that, was, that would have been a nice little that turn. That would have been much better than what I did. And then Chris Rodriguez, who emerged out of the dust last week to steal touches from Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson. Obviously, different levels of ads here. Rodriguez is available pretty much anywhere anyone's playing fantasy football. Um, let's let's talk about Strong first, though, because Jerome Ford's going to miss a couple of weeks. We'll see Strong sharing with Kareem Hunt, I would assume. And Strong's been the most efficient rusher on the team since Nick Show went down. I think Pierre Strong is a, a pretty interesting talent. And he ran, was he a sub 4 4 40 guy? 4 3 7 40, really, really fast, explosive playmaker. I think he's got a chance. Kareem Hunt, we know what he is, and he's going to have a role because the, the Browns trust him. He's going to get the goal line stuff. But. It wouldn't shock me if Pierre Strong was making consistent plays that that make the Browns think about getting him more involved over the next couple of weeks. And the other thing I'll add is we're in, I, I don't know if this is actually a trend, but it's happened a few times now where guys suffer high ankle sprains and there's this rush by the teams or by the, the media members that the teams are leaking information to to say, it's not that bad, guys. It's a high ankle sprain, but he's 
fine. He might play this yeah. week. We don't know. And like that was the report with Jerome Ford. It's a low grade high ankle sprain. He might only miss one week. And it's like he's probably going to miss three games. Right. Like I, I that's my if someone has a high ankle sprain, it's not always the case. I think Patrick Mahomes played the same week of a high ankle sprain a couple years ago. So it's it's not impossible. But yeah. I'm expecting Jerome Ford is going to miss at least two games. I would guess more like three. And Strong has an opportunity. That team hasn't actually run the ball all that well this season. Their offensive line is not as good as it has been in years past. But I really think he's an intriguing option who who could carve out a significant role. He, he is definitely the uh, the top option of these three running backs. I mm-hmm. Do you think that there's a chance that Chase Edmonds could at some point become the best running back in this backfield? Uh, sorry, can you repeat the question? Do you think that there's a chance that Chase Edmonds supplants Rashad White and becomes the best running back in this backfield? Yes, yeah. The the Rashad White thing has worked out okay so far this season. He's been a, a useful fantasy option, but my concern coming in was that he's a classic dead zone type of running back where it's, well, who else is going to touch the ball? But then when he actually gets on the field, it's like, well, anyone could do what he's doing, at least in the running game. He's actually been right. very good as a pass catcher, um, which was the profile coming in. But, you know, we've seen Chase Edmonds look pretty good as a runner. So I would not be surprised at all if this became a, a two-way committee with Chase Edmonds getting more of the rushing work than uh, Rashad White at some point this season. And then I'm just viewing Chris Rodriguez as, here's a guy who touched the ball this week. We yeah. should probably add him just in case. Just in case, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, and it's rare you find running backs at 1% yeah. rostered who are touching the ball, so it's I th- worthwhile. I think it's more concerning for Brian Robinson than it is positive for Chris Rodriguez, but absolutely. If, if Robinson gets hurt or if they just want to go away from him, Rodriguez would figure to be the clear beneficiary because it's not Antonio Gibson. I will say um, one tight end, and it wasn't the guy that everybody was hoping would be the tight end, Darnell Washington, because he's more of a tackle. Uh, Connor Hayward actually played 86% of the snaps for the Steelers last week without Pat Fryermuth. Um, could be a red zone target, a touchdown-dependent streamer. We don't know how long Muth's going to be out, but I don't think he's going to be back soon. So in a deep league, especially maybe a, a tight end premium league, he could be interesting. We've got four more guys who aren't quite as available. What do you think of Tyler Bajan? Uh Tyson Bajan. Tyson. I've called him Tyler every time I've talked about him. I think he's going to start in week eight. Yep. That's, That's uh, fair. It. And he wasn't a complete disaster. He wasn't a complete disaster, but it was also one of these situations where the, the, the offensive coaching staff clearly had no faith in him. Like He, he had 59 air yards on what 29 30 pass attempts it was they did not ask him to do hardly anything in this game and and he did not do anything poorly and that's what they were hoping for and they were able to get the win but i i saw some conversations that hey maybe he's going to maybe there's a qb controversy i i think there's not a chance unless justin fields gets hurt again right the the People might say that a little more after this week, as bad as the Chargers defense has been. Like they might just give him two or three complete breakdowns in the secondary and he puts together a great fantasy day. I will say it's probably more likely that the Chargers defense suddenly looks really, really good. Um, Would you rather start Tyson Bajant 
or Malik Willis, who we expect will be starting for Ryan Tannehill this week. Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing to keep an eye on is him and Will Levis um, is, you know, they were noncommittal about who the starting quarterback would be going into the bye. They said they were going to take a look at it during the bye and, and see what happens. I expect Malik Willis will be the starter, and, and I would go with him. The fact that he did beat out a, a second-round pick does make me think that at least he played better in training camp than he had the year before. Yep. We know his athleticism gives him some rushing upside, so I would rather go with Willis. If you're a win-now team and you're hurting at wide receiver, Robert Woods is back down to 11% rostered. Everybody dropped him on his bye. I fully expect they're going to come back from the bye, and he's going to see a frustratingly high target share and out-target Tank Dell and Nico Collins some weeks. So if you're desperate at wide receiver, you're going to find more targets in Woods than you will most players at 11% rostered. And then Miko Hardman, I was surprised his roster rate hadn't spiked more with the return to Kansas City. He didn't do much in his first game back, returned a punt, caught a pass, and got a first down. But I I almost expect there to be a month at some point this season where Michael Hardman's fantasy relevant. Yeah, he only played 11 snaps, but it was his first game with the team. You know, he only was acquired a couple days before the game, so I would expect that role to grow. He's got the Giants this week, so the problem with Hardman was even when he was, you know, quote-unquote good last season, it was very touchdown-dependent and They've got a lot of options to draw up those kind of, you know, short area touchdowns. Like, are they really going to do that with Kadarius Tony there? You know, I, I think that's a, a legitimate concern that makes me wonder what kind of role Hardman's going to have. All right. We're going to take a break. I'm, I just sent the tweet out. So those of you who are already here, we'll get your questions answered first, but get them in now. When we come back, we'll be answering your questions for the last 15 minutes here on FFT Dynasty. Okay, Chris, so I, I saw a question earlier. I said I wasn't going to scroll up. I lied. I, I saw this question from Nathan Sosa in the chat, and I, I thought that's one that's worth scrolling up for. When do I know when to tear down? I'm three and four, but top three in scoring. And I, I get the emotions of this game and how frustrating it can be. And I know that I'm the guy who always says you never want to get caught in the middle. I want to be first or last. But don't, th- this is not the time to tear down. Like three and four and top three in scoring, you might be a contender. What the answer to this question is very dependent on your trade deadline um, because a lot of dynasty leagues don't have one. And so in that case, I'm probably writing it out until I see, like, if I have some injuries, then maybe I tear it down. But otherwise, I'll just write it out. If you've got a trade deadline around Thanksgiving, like most fantasy leagues, then I'm, I'm waiting until just about then. And if I'm still first, we had this in our keep, keep fun, fun league last year and it didn't work out for me, but I was sixth or seventh at the deadline and I was, had the top scoring team. I ended up making the playoffs and losing in round one or round two. But if you're scoring really well, don't worry so much about that record, especially this early. I'd wait until very close to the deadline and see what it looks like then. Yeah. The the one thing I would say is it also depends obviously on the makeup of your roster. If you've got an older team with, if you're three and four, but you've had your team is built around like Austin Eckler and DK Metcalf and Mike Evans, I, I think I'd probably hang around because those are guys who have all had their buys. So they're they're clear now. They're, they're runway. They're going to be there for you the rest of the way as long as they're healthy. And that makes it a little easier. If you're three and four 
with an older roster and you've got a bunch of guys who haven't had their buys, that makes it a lot more complicated. That makes your path to actually making the playoffs a little trickier because you're not just going to have to make up ground on the teams that are already doing well. And three and four is very doable. Like that's right. a, a three game winning streak and you're fine. But if you, if like none of your key players have had their buys, that does make it a little trickier because then you've got to make sure you still have that depth to overcome the bye weeks. That that's where the the margin for error does get narrower. We've got a, a blockbuster here, and it says non PPR does not say superflex, so we're going to assume one quarterback: mm-hmm. Justin Jefferson and Michael Pittman for Patrick Mahomes, Gabe Davis, and Deontay Johnson. I don't think Chris is going to give this one a good grade. I mean. It- I just, in a non-PPR league, I'm not sure Gabe Davis and Deontay Johnson are, in a two-wide receiver league, I don't think they're starters. In non-PPR at all. In, See, in I think Gabe, like Gabe Davis league, is better in non-PPR. He's better, but it's still the same thing. Right. Like, the, the, the Gabe Davis problem doesn't change that much in non-PPR versus PPR. It makes it a little, like, it makes the boom weeks a little, you know, a little more valuable, because the boom weeks are never going to come with a lot of catches anyway, but... I, I wouldn't rank either of those guys as top 24 wide receivers in, in, in a non-PPR format for sure. And so that's a really big quarterback, but I, I don't think I would do it now. And I've got Mahomes on my trade chart, even in one QB, worth a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jefferson, his like he's worth more than Mahomes, but not as much more in a non-PPR league. His sure. His edge drops a little bit. But I think the problem here is that I think I'd rather have Pittman than Gabe Davis and Deontay Johnson. Yes. So it's two combos where I'd rather have what you gave away. I'm going I'm to go with a, a C- minus on that one, Chris. Um, what is Austin Eckler's current trade value in a 10-team Superflex full PPR Dynasty League? Late first or second round pick? This is a guy, especially if you're not contending with Austin Eckler on your roster, Like it seems like his value should be more than a late first or early mm-hmm. second round pick. But, man, we go another couple of weeks with him not looking as good and not seeing as many targets in the passing game at his age. I'm not sure you're going to get that. Yeah, if you're not contending, I I think if you can get a first-round pick for him, you probably just do it now. Um, I I do think he'll be fine. Mm -hmm. You know, it's... I think Kellen Moore has thrown 10% of his passes to running backs so far this season, and obviously Eckler missing some time has hurt that, but... I don't think he has a game with more than four catches so far. And last season, there was something similar early on. The first couple of games, Austin Eckler wasn't really involved in the passing game. I think he really didn't get going until like week four, and then he was incredible. Um, The the, the obvious difference is that Kellen Moore is the offensive coordinator now, and we didn't expect quite as many targets. Yes, I I think the, the distinction there is worth noting, but last season I think with the Cowboys it was like 18% of their passes and in the four years I think the average was right around 18% so even that is nearly double what uh, we've seen so far this season. There there were multiple times in that game against the Chiefs on Sunday and it really was infuriating to me and it made me question Kellen Moore a little bit where Austin Eckler played on first and second down mm-hmm. and then came off the field and Josh Kelly came in on third down. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, um, what are you guys doing? Yeah, and I, I do think like the it it ultimately might be like a slightly less than ideal fit 
between Kellen Moore's play calling and offensive yeah. philosophy and Justin Herbert's natural inclination to push the ball down the field. And it might be a situation where they need to get together and kind of like dial it back a little bit and right. say, we, we can take some layup throws. We, we've gone potentially too far in the opposite direction. So we've got a question here about Marvin Mims, and we did kind of uh, jump over him. So I, he was my wide receiver 10 currently in this class, wide receiver 48 currently in Dynasty. I am pretty skeptical after this start. Like I was excited about him because I actually thought that he could be a real NFL wide receiver. So far, the Broncos are treating him more like a gimmick player. Um and I don't like that, but it, it could be that he's just growing into a role. I wouldn't want to give up on him yet, but I view him as a kind of a, a, a low end number four wide receiver. How, how do you, you view Mims right now? And is any reason to be more encouraged than I am? I, I think it's a bet on talent winning out. You know, he is very young. That, that's the one thing to keep in mind is he's not even 22 yet. He doesn't turn 22 until after the season. So that's, that's a good sign for him. You know, he was, productive as a young player in college he's he's shown the skills in the nfl right like he's already shown the ability he's shown that he belongs and so the question is how much of his limited role so far is things that he's actually doing wrong or not getting right versus sean payton trusting guys that he trusts and is a potential Jerry Judy trade going to open the role for Marvin Mims, or does that just mean more Lil Jordan Humphrey? Right. You know, th that's the question. But I, I do think when you're talking about a player this young who seven games in his career has already shown real NFL skills, I, I think you should be pretty optimistic about them, even if I don't necessarily disagree. Like, I would probably put him ahead of Jonathan Mingo, but I'm much more skeptical of Jonathan Mingo than right. most people coming in. Um, but I, I actually think if like at Thielen's age, especially I think if something happens to Thielen, you're going to see Mingo in a much less efficient version of that role this year. Cause I don't think they have anybody else that could move into that role. Yeah. I, I genuinely don't know. I, I don't know what to expect. Mingo's playing almost entirely on the outside. I don't, I don't know if they'd move him in because Thielen's playing most of his snaps on in, in the slot. We've got Jerry here, the seven and O dynasty squad wanted to tell us about his trade. Mostly wanted to tell us that he has a seven and O dynasty squad. Good job, Jerry. I gave a 2024 first 2024 second and Wandale Robinson got Deandre Swift and Deontay Johnson taking the shot this is exactly the type of move that i would like to make the only thing i would hesitate on is trading for deandre swift this early in the season i'd rather get a little closer to the playoffs and make sure he's still healthy but i think a late first and a late second for swift and johnson and whatever wandale robinson's worth i like it what do you say chris yeah i think it's fine i i would like you said i i would hope that the big name that i'm getting is a more surefire impactful player but DeAndre Swiss history tells us that just because he's healthy in October just because he's healthy in November does not necessarily mean he will continue to be healthy in December you know like there's there's always going to be injury risk there Jordan has Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields will have the first four picks in next year's draft would it be wise to shop fields for an elite rookie before he possibly can't figure it out? 
And I, I get the sentiment there um, for a quarterback who has like, I think Lamar Jackson upside fields floor is still pretty low with the bears possessing the Panthers pick and their own pick. Yes. And he has struggled more than I was hoping that he would. We saw the two, the two, four touchdown games right before the injury. And so there's, I, I'm not out on Justin Fields, but I do think if you know, you're going to be drafting one or two quarterbacks early in next year's draft, it does make sense. I would just personally try to wait it out until Fields plays again and hope he gives me a game to sell off of. I don't think this is the time to sell Justin Fields. I would say the the question is, for me, not will Justin Fields be the Chicago Bears starting quarterback next season? Because I think the question, the answer to that question is almost certainly not. I would say it's like 90% no. Oh, wow. The question, yeah, I just... He, he even with the games where he's played better, the questions, the 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 flaws in his skill set are still there. He has all the physical tools. He's, I think, a much more accurate passer than he gets credit for. It's not a question of that. It's a, it's a question of processing the offense quick enough and making the decisions that he needs to make quick enough. And he hasn't really made the ga- the leaps that we hoped he would. It's been a lot of DJ Moore making plays after the catch. It's been a lot of kind of unsustainable deep balls for him. And I I imagine that they're going to move on. That that's I have a strong inclination towards that. That doesn't mean there's a 90% chance Justin Fields won't be a starter next year, however. There's always a chance some team is willing to give them a a third round pick and say we'll give him a chance on his final year of his rookie contract how good of a chance is it that he's starting for someone else is the question. I I do think trying to get something for Justin Fields this year, especially if you can still get impact type of return for him, makes a lot of sense. We'll try to get to three more questions here before we wrap things up here. I want two, two best QBs to hold in Dynasty Superflex, Trade Stroud or Kyler. I, so he's just trying to figure out which quarterback he should hang on to. Yeah, it seems like it. Yes. Sorry for the, uh, the well, I, I yeah. Um, I don't, I think I'm higher on both these guys than the consensus. I expect Kyler to come back and basically be a lo- top, borderline top 12 quarterback rest of season. And I expect him to be a top eight or 10 quarterback next year. I have CJ Stroud currently as my number five quarterback in Dynasty. Mm-hmm. So I think the answer here is that I'm shopping both and I'm seeing if there's somebody in my league who values them as much as I do. Otherwise, I think you wait until Kyler has a good game. Yeah, I think there's a lot more skepticism about Kyler. Like it was a weirdly popular opinion before the season that Kyler Murray just wasn't going to play this season. And that never made any sense. But a lot of people held it to the point where I think it's probably impacted his the perception of Kyler Murray's value. I, I, that's another one where I think the chances of him being the Cardinal starter next year are pretty low, but the chances of him being someone's starter are pretty good. But the one thing with CJ Stroud, and, and it's always the case when you see a player get off to an unexpectedly good start like this is mm-hmm. what does the, we're going to see the adjustments, right? And some guys can't adjust to the adjustments. You know, right. you see that in, in every sport, you know, t- guys get off to hot starts and then they get figured out. I feel a lot more confident in players once I've seen teams adjust to them, figure out what they're doing, and then they adjust and succeed 
in spite of that. And we haven't seen that yet. It's an unknown right. unknown with CJ Stroud. It's not a knock against him. It's just that's the question about, like, if he's a top five QB, that's when we find out. So we've got a non another non-PR PR question. There, there are still some of those leagues out there. Going to trade either Aaron Jones or Brian Robinson for a wide receiver. What type of wide receiver? And I th- it's interesting. I, I still think you probably get more for Jones. Although the fact that it's non-PPR and the fact that it's Dynasty makes these two much, much closer than you would mm-hmm. think in a, in a redraft PPR league. Has Keenan Allen, Gabe Davis, Deontay, and K.J. Osborne. I think I'm probably trying to pair Jones and one of the wide receivers not named, named Keenan Allen to mm-hmm. upgrade here. Because I don't think Jones gets you enough at wide receiver. You think of any – I'm going to look at my trade chart here, Chris, but can you think of any – any wide receivers maybe who have been underperforming that you'd be targeting with these guys? Yeah, I, I guess that's the the question is like, would you do it for DeAndre Hopkins? I would not. I'm wondering, could could you turn Gabe and one of the and Brian Robinson mm-hmm. into George Pickens? I don't think so. Not you after think? last week. I, I, I think the, the arrows pointing, like maybe Debo, you know, but I, that doesn't provide you the immediate help. That, but that was one that I was thinking. Right. Maybe Calvin Ridley. That, that was the next name that yeah. came up for me was Calvin Ridley or maybe Christian Kirk. Somebody thinks they're selling him high. Yeah. I, I think you're going to have to either think old because you're a contender Mm-hmm. Or you're going to have to think by low because they've been playing bad so far. Yeah. Um, what about, I don't know, Tyler Lockett. I'd probably be okay trading Brian Robinson for Tyler Lockett. I just don't know how good I feel about Tyler Lockett at this point. I don't feel very good about Tyler Lockett. And I love Tyler Lockett. And he's had a spectacular career. I wish the Seahawks would trade him to the Chiefs. Um, but I I don't, it, it, there's some bad signs. Yeah. Marquise there Brown? right now. Marquise Brown might be the right answer with Kyler Murray coming back. That could be a really nice duo in the second half of the season. I think, Chris, we made a nice duo for the last hour, and I think we're done answering the Drew Dynasty questions. We will be back next Tuesday, and we will talk to you then.